0: This is Unplugged, a series of conversations with creative minds from the design industry and beyond, hosted by H.
1: Hello everyone. Today we have Luca Lakato from Stockholm with us. So welcome Luca. Thank you. How, how are you today?
0: I'm very good, thank you, Yoko. Everything is fine. Thanks cool. a lot.
1: Yeah, how's the how's the situation like in Stockholm now?
0: Well, I think also here the the last couple of weeks the cases start to really raise up, and I think there is some rumors of eventual new restriction coming. But comparing with what I hear from relatives and friends in Italy or other friends in the south of Europe is of course much more softer uh, still the situation here
1: yeah but uh, I guess um, now we all have to adjust to the new normal so I think we're adjusting quite well we have to there's no choice but
0: (laughs) yeah, there is no real choice but I think um, yeah I think we don't need to do the mistake to think that everything will back to where we normally were operating or living uh i think of course there is a lot of um, situation that are changing drastically and uh, and there is of course also other new opportunity that uh, is uh, offering to us and us all the time when there is a crisis there is situation that will collapse and other that pop up
1: yeah so before we start talking about your new projects or what you're working on at the moment we can start from the very beginning so let me do a very short introduction of you for our audience yeah. so you're one of you're one of the most prolific industrial multi, multi-disciplinary designer in the scene and you have been working with a lot of furniture, and lighting, and a lot of different clients, big names or new names. And well, you start your, you start your studio in Italy in 2006, and then 2011, you moved to Stockholm to start the second studio. And uh, it's, quite, it's quite interesting because I saw on Instagram, your self-introduction goes like this. I was born in 1976 in Venice, I grew up with Murano. I was a basketball player and I'm a designer. So tell us something more about you. How did you go from being a basketball player to a a designer now?
0: Well, there is not really a connection between what that I was playing basket and design. I mean the it's quite interesting because um, Talking about the basket uh, (laughs) parts, Italy is famous worldwide for the dream about uh, and the support of football. But Venice is a very uh, peculiar city and is an island. So when there was the boom of the sport, there was not really big fields to build up a football field, but there was a lot of churches with small, uh, how to say, square, uh, that normally was used for the religion stuff, that they transformed that small square in basketball court. That is the reason why Venice became very popular uh, in Italy with the basket culture. And being born there, of course, basket for me was the most normal things to do and a part of the basket another normal thing murano is world famous for the glass industry and my mom was decorating glass my grandfather was a glass blower and a lot of friends and relatives was involved in the glass industry so for me uh, to see a drawings that becoming an object was something very normal and Then luckily, uh, my teacher, when I was younger, said to my mom that I was pretty talented in drawings. So my mom accepted my desire to go to study at the Institute of Art in Venice. Uh, And during the summer with my classmates, we were organizing like a tour around the island in Murano, knocking the door of the different factory to sell our drawings. Uh, not because we want to be a designer, but just because we want to have, make some money to have fun during the summertime. Uh, and it was easy. And then i maintained this kind of ritual also when I decided to study design. Luckily, I met uh, uh, Simon Moore. He was the art director of uh, Salviati that he gave me the chance to visit the factory and meeting important designer or artists like Anish Kapoor or Ingo Maurer, Tom Dixon, Ross Love Group, and many others and I you know stealing with my eyes the different approach of these people and some was very good talker other was using the first rendering other was amazing to sketch and luckily, Simon gave me the opportunity to uh, design something for the brand. It uh, was my last year of university. I designed this collection that's still in production. It's called Mille Bolle. It's a collection of vases. And because I need to be paid, I, the company asked me to open a freelance position. So I was able to invoice them. And since then... I was trying to be able to do this as my job. Then the things start to move properly. And in 2006, I decided to open my studio, so my first company. But it's also true that from 2003, I met a beautiful woman from Sweden uh, that now is my wife. And uh, in 2011 and 2010, she moved to Sweden because she had a very important uh, job offer. So I say to her, okay, I will follow you. Why not? I can do back and forth at that time. Now, is, uh, I don't know if I was going on to do the same. And since 2011, I opened the second office here in, in Sweden, in Stockholm.
1: So how how is it like working in Venice and working in Stockholm? I think the creative environment are very different. Do you think is how, how does the two cultures influence your work or your practice?
0: I is a is a, a question that I try every time to give a a proper answer in the sense that. Uh, For sure, when I moved here in the beginning of 2011, uh, one of the topics that I never heard before in Italy was, for example, the the way that the company here are operating new projects, considering the environmental uh, approach part of the creative process. In Italy this it I never, I mean, now start to be, of course, a very important topic, but before it was absolutely not so substantial, and, and of course, another thing is here, there is a very important consideration about the functionality of the, the object that we are designing, and, Italy, in that sense, is much more a statement or uh, you're searching always for uh, iconic pieces, something that needs to communicate with the users differently, also from an emotional point of view. So, And being a person before then being a designer, I think, of course, living abroad from Italy in another completely different culture, uh, there was a kind of... Uh, i still 100% Italian, but of course i still adapting myself to different kind of scenarios and different behavior. And I think that my design for sure have uh, achieved a good balance between the two different cultures on doing projects.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think coming from Italian culture and that you're during your childhood and your formative years, you're so close to all the craftsmanship and all the excellent artisans working around you. And I think that reflects in your work very heavily as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I can say that I consider myself very lucky in that part because I, most of the Italian designers, when they are living in Italy and operating in Italy, they don't realize how lucky we are having that kind of infrastructure, and mostly typical Italian, uh, we are blaming all the time, the system, the situation, blah, blah, blah. We make a big drama. The reality is, when you start to designing and working with company uh, abroad, internationally, and you work, I don't know, from North America to China, etc., you start to realize how spoiled you are as an Italian designer because the supply chain, the artisan, the craftsman, all the time when you are trying to create something new, they help you to, they teach you based also in their experience and they never really, I received few no from supplier. Normally also if they never try to do something that you have in your mind, they always came out with, okay, let's try, or maybe, I never, I don't know. Abroad is more like, um, let's say, they say yes if they had the experience and they did something like that before, or they say no if they don't have that. So there is not that kind of gray zone that for creativity sometimes is probably the most important part of where to be. And for example, in Scandinavia, generally, that approach maybe because there is not anymore such a huge network of uh, uh, craftsmen, etc. Um, and most of the company here are editing and not producing directly product. I mean, the most successful one. There's still a lot of small, tiny manufacture, but. Um, There is always yes or not, depending on the price level. Depend of so, it's much more less, let's say, making a project for a gut feeling that you want to do something beautiful. There is more like a focus on the business side, and that's it. So, it's a little bit less, yeah. We can say one kind of design is more Latino, more. Passionate and the other is a little bit more scenic and more profitable
1: Yeah, so it makes um, Like your latest project very interesting you create you designed a new portable name For a fantasy brand called Loads Loaders. Oh, yes, you have it with you. Yeah, so this is about to Give them a new creative direction and also a new direction in terms of doing business or in terms of pro- producing stuff, new places. So, maybe you can start with the lamp do you have designed for them. And in general, how do you help them to like renew or refresh the business
0: model? In this case, um, Lodes was um, a company called uh, uh, Studio Italia Design. That exists for seventy-five years, something like that, and was a, still a family-run company. And during the years, they develop. Let's say they start to do chandelier, the classical chandelier made in metal and Murano glass, etc. And they, uh, by the way, the company is based close to Venice, and. Since 2000, let's say five, six years ago, Massimiliano Tosetto, the son of uh, the owner of the company, as a, I think the third, yeah, the third generation start to run the company by himself as a managing director. And they really feel that the company was going well, they was selling well, they was growing. But I was missing one part that the company was considered a very good manu- lighting manufacturer that was also producing for other famous brands, but it was never make a step to be considered a brand by himself. So he asked me in the beginning if I can help him to do this kind of process or transition. So I started as always, talking a lot with them and uh, together we came out with the idea to rebrand the brand completely. So changing also the name because Studio Italia Design was a little bit misinterpreting. It was a studio, it was a company and so we decided to making a, a research and to find a new name. So the new name is Lodes. Then I helped them to Uh, finding a company like uh, a agency sorry that helped them to remake the total brand book and at the same time uh, analyzing their portfolio understanding what was missing in their portfolio what was the room to create new products that have a aesthetic that can help them to penetrate different kind of market and distribution and and when uh, i understand that kind of direction i was involving other designer and in the same time helping the company to contact possible new employer that can uh, help them to structureize also internally the company to have a proper technical office or proper R&D, And in parallel, the company start to hire also a brand manager, a marketing manager. So the, the internal structure now start to be much more uh, focused in also the transition that we plan. And one of the first uh, outputs of this project was this lamp. That I designed that is called Easy Peasy. And is a rechargeable lamp, as you mentioned, uh, a table version. And, and the reason why we decide to do that is the company is quite well positioning, especially in the um, retailer uh, worldwide that are selling lighting but they are not very well positioning for example in a retailer that are also selling furniture and other stuff and to build a brand you need to be present also in that specific distribution and my intention as a designer and as a design curator of the company was also showing that the company can do product that is a beautiful lamp, but they still have also a very important aesthetic sense that the lamp is not only beautiful when you are using, and there is light, but is also a beautiful object. So in the Easy Peasy, there was a inspiration about a gesture that is typical when you... The nickname of the lamp in the beginning was... Uh, salt and pepper because the movement for switch on and switch off the light and dimmering is identical of what you are doing at the table when you are putting pepper or salt in your dish and we want to do a product that can be can work in the contract market but also residential and um, so you can use in a table in a restaurant or etc. But can be also very nomad in that sense using at home. And, and another aspect that was very important for me, normally this typology of lamp when you see they are monomatheric or made mostly in plastic, etc. For me was very important to work on the perception of the value of the lamp so the lamp is done there is a a blowing glass there is a base in cast aluminium there is the let's say the head that you are using as a switch that is done in a polymer that is more or less the same that you are using for the billiard balls So it was very important to create a product that have a reasonable price because I think the retail price is 240 euro approximately. A good performance because you have LED that is a technology called warm to white that uh, changes the color of the temperature of the lights depending on when you are Dimmer, uh, you are demer that and at the same time i wonder the people when they see the price of the lamp they are also attracting because they say that this beautiful object have a technical performance but also the material that was used positioning the lamp in a sort of level so that is something that in this particular case I did in one object but is also let's say what I'm trying to do as a design curator really help the company also repositioning themselves.
1: Yeah and as I as I understand the glass part of the lamp is produced in Murano is that correct?
0: It's close to it's not really Murano but it's more in the hinterland, close to to Venice and then Part of the, the lamp is produced in, um, in China and, and the assemble is done in Italy. So it's a kind of very, I'd say, common way to produce uh, consumer electronic uh, pieces in a way, also if it's a lamp. But having this technology, battery, and so on, and not only about, it's not only a matter of price or investment, there was more a good expertise in that part in China. Um, so we decided to, to pursue that direction. And of course the territoriality, and I think is also a kind of signature uh, of the brand. And I think it's very important that the product that we are designing and producing still have one of their feet in the roof of of the territory.
1: And so I always find it very interesting that uh, your relationship with glass, and you can, okay, we can see a lot of glass in a lot of your projects. And I think I know that you're working a lot with the local industry to try to help them to preserve or to be sustainable in the future. So can you say, can you tell something that you have been doing with the local glass scene?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, of course I feel uh, uh, personally, uh, in a way, uh, responsible uh, to try to be able to preserve, as you say, uh, something that I think is, uh, richness not only for the people working that specific field but for for the entire world uh, about Murano especially and um, it's true that the island and Murano was suffering quite a lot not now for the Covid situation but also before because everything uh, I mean become very complicate for them in, uh, in terms of cost, in terms of people, if they want a glass, in, they don't understand why they need to spend uh, uh, 50, 60 euros because uh, you can go to Ikea with the same amount of money you can buy glasses for the rest of your life. I think as a designer, one of our mission should be also helping the artists and the craftsmen that we met during our professional life to to survive and doing projects that have also an ethical responsibility to being able to transfer, not only through our object, but through our object give to them the opportunity to produce. That means to make some money and extend their life because it would be a tremendous shame if one day, I don't know, my kids are going to Murano and they don't see any more people working with glass. And so it's true that as a studio, we had the opportunity to be in touch with a lot of realities and companies, not only from the design world, but also from the luxury living or luxury sector. And, um, and all the time I'm trying to see if I can make kind of educational expression <laughs> of glass through the opportunity that happened to us. So I did, um, uh, for example, with Salviati, that is a, a brand that I start my career. After a few years, the, our connection was a little bit, I was taking a path, they was taking another path until they asked me if I can help them to do an installation in Milan. And we did this huge installation involving also my friend, Ben Gorham, the founder of Bayredo, and that is a fragrance company, a lifestyle company right now. It's doing a lot of other stuff. But to, to create this project, to show the potential of glass, Murano glass, in a different way, most as an installation part. And then that installation uh, somehow attract the uh, attention of a brand like Hermes. And Hermes asked to us as a studio to, if we were interested to do a Windows display for them. So um, we did two Windows display, one in Venice, uh, the first one, and we used uh, also glass as the first, like the main material for the, the installation. And then also the Hong Kong one, that by the way, you were there and um and we did also that project uh but then happened also company like uh, i don't know in new york uh, that they want to do i don't know uh lighting uh and i proposed to do something in murano glass or um, i mean when i can see that there is project where the murano glass can elevate my creativity and my output in the same time, also matching the request of the client, I always try to create these bridges um, that hopefully I, th- I I really want, maybe in the future, trying to do that also with other artists, and, uh, not only with glass, but uh, with maybe other material. And I think it was kind of interesting to see that this kind of gut feeling, right, that I had to, to, to do this kind of connection and try to do my small part to maintain this artisan in the radar <laughs> of, of, of the design world was something that was underlying even more about other events that born like Homo Faber or many other designers that start to put even more attention to the craftsmen re- uh, recently. So I, I think we are going in a good in a good direction. In that sense,
1: yeah. I think what um, fascinates me very much about the way you work is you're always trying to make connections, not only across different culture or knowledge or just talent. So I think that's the beauty in your current work as well. And I remember I went to the. Um, uh, Opening in Paris earlier this year for La Manufacture. Yeah, and I think this is a very good example of how you are trying to combine like the French aesthetic and Italian craftsmanship, and also to create like a very unique design, fashion, and retail experience. So maybe you can tell us something about that project as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, with La Manufacture, that the name. means craftsmanship uh, was really the, um, uh, I had the chance, I mean, to met uh, Bob, the owner of uh, the Sider Group, uh, through common friends. He's a super patient person with a very uh, big ambition and dream, personal dream. Uh, Sider is operating mostly in the contract market. Uh, very locally, especially in Paris. Um, but Bob was very clever in the recent past to look at the Italian manufacturing because he realized that a lot of company that he was specifying in his project in the contract was not really manufacturing company, but was more, more editor. So I say, why I need to wait the time and the delivering time of an editor where I, can, I know that they are producing in Italy so I can go straight to the source. So he can start to produce his own, uh, let's say, special product for, that match the specific request of each project that he were doing. And then he collect his product to create a catalog and that he wants to create his own brand. When I saw the catalog, I mean, of course, you know, trying to put in one, let's say container, different topics, the risk is that the things are not talking together. And so when I saw that, I say, I can see the potential because quality wise, the product is very well done. But I think it's missing the part that where there is a red line that you can understand that part. And so I proposed to Bob to somehow start from a carte blanche, so a white page, and taking care about the selection of the designer, developing also the concept of the brand, and the idea behind the brand, together with him, and trying to start to visualize that. And so we decide to have a company that is a sort of, uh, have a manifesto where the craftsmanship is the most important things and doesn't matter the expression in a way. So, but the first two expression is of course, furniture and also fashion. And so we try to merge two things that normally are working separately. And plus, we add a third layer that was the idea to have a sort of concept store as a container of these two collections. And sadly, let's say the time that we <laughs> planned to launch that was not one of the most lucky ones because after one month that we launched the brand there was the lockdown but in the other part gave us the opportunity to look into the future and planning better also the how to you know structureize the entire concept and now we are planning to open the second store in geneve um i'm designing um the Say the structure of the fashion collection that is integrating better also with the furniture part. Uh, We are adding new international designers to the team. And in the same time, one thing that for me was very important connecting to the topics that we were discussing previously the craftsman and the create connection I kind of like every year uh, adding to the collection a product that maybe is coming from uh, upcoming talent. And last year we did with Emma Gavaldon Duchamp. She's um, amazing young designer based in Mexico City. She's half Dutch and half Mexican. And she's working mostly in textile design. And so I asked Emma to produce a special collection of carpet that is uh, uh, produced in Oaxaca, in Mexico, and adding this to the, to the collection of La Manufature. And so in the future, we are looking also to do other uh, projects like that. And I kind of like the idea that La Manufature can be a sort of hybrid of uh, different industries, and a kind of incubator of not only, let's say, aesthetics, but more like personalities, character, skills, and legacy and tradition, Uh, and becoming also a very interesting player in, in a country as France, that normally in the last 20, 30 years lost completely Uh, a target of company like that moving mostly or in the super luxury like the Maison or in a mainstream company like uh, Linier-Rosé or Roche-Boubois.
1: Yeah. You mentioned one thing that I've always find very interesting is that you work with, well, as you mentioned, you work with a lot of cultures, you work with a a lot of countries. And do you see that, is a very challenging. Would you say it's very challenging to align all these different different minds and culture to create something solid and unique and strong, or would you say this actually adding to your creative process to create something even more exciting or new? Uh,
0: I think, <laughs> I think uh, sometimes you know the problem, and I can feel. Uh, my frustration sometimes is um, the moment that I'm start to landing in a sort of com- comfortable uh, zone. I always looking for something that is totally uncomfortable. So I, I think in the end, probably this is um, my way to operate so that I like the complexity of challenging uh, in uh, it's too easy just to do a big, uh, a nice collection for a super structuralist brand. I think the difference you, you can do mostly when you are able not just to designing something, but when you are able also to really give to, to, the, to the project a meaning that is different from a single product. So when you are looking at things from a cultural aspect, but also from a strategic point of view in terms of successful business and the two things you are able to merge together. And I don't think that this you can do with one single product. So it's true that working, I don't know, in China and at the same time working in Holland or France or Germany or Sweden or Denmark, you need to switch your way to talk or your way to Uh, or your output uh, to match the request or the different culture. But I think it's also a kind of interesting exercise to being able to create a sort of formula as a studio, as a designer, that gives you the opportunity to really exchange and interact with different culture. So... Anyway, it will be too easy, you know, just to focus on uh, the biggest brand uh, in the Italian market. After a while, would be super boring, I think.
1: Cool. You just uh, mentioned about Denmark. So I want to talk about the new collection you did. You created for Wanderbilt from Denmark. So yeah. it's a new software collection. Is that correct? Maybe.
0: Wanderbilt um, like is... Uh, such a very interesting brand that exists for a few decades, and um, in the last uh, let's say three, four years, really start to have the ambition to become a very important player in the let's call it the new Nordic uh, wave of companies, and trying in a way to be different, especially in the way that they present themselves, in the way that they are producing the products. So it's a company that uh, born in, uh, as I say, in Denmark, is from Denmark, but since like 20 years, 15 years, they open up a factory in Vietnam. And so they are using the skills and of course, the fact that in Vietnam you can achieve a very affordable price. Um, but the part of the family, uh, Vanderbilt family, also moved to Vietnam to train the, the employee in Vietnam to understand a sort of quality range, a sort of output, et cetera. Of course, working with them, there is some restriction because it's not that in Vietnam you can do whatever you want. Uh but it's also interesting to see the really the, the skills on the manufacturer point of view uh and the and the output in terms of quality with a price that is super competitive. And recently also they they changed the CEO, a former sales director of Muto joined the company Christian as a new CEO so there is a venture capital behind that are really pushing them to a new direction to be even more a stronger brand and it's quite dynamic the way that the company are changing and moving and trying to I mean we are working in in a lot of new projects, we recently, as you mentioned, launched also a new sofa that is called a cinder block. That is a very simple concept. It's a modular sofa, blocky, with uh, just a twist on the arm and the back that is a volumes that is overlapping a little bit the, the other modules. So that gives you the opportunity to do mostly everything from a island to a freestanding to corner everything you need and that was something very interesting in terms of quality and process because it's the classical typology that a lot of Italian brands have in their offer but when I went to Copenhagen in the beginning of September to being person uh, there during the launch of the sofa was my only trip until the pandemic came. Um, When I saw the price, I was asking if the price was for a module or for the entire composition. And when they told me it was for the entire composition, I was like shocked uh, in a positive way uh, because they are going to offer to average of people worldwide, something very aspirational in terms of aesthetics and quality with a price that I think most of the middle class all around the world can have. And that, of course, is helping a lot the diffusion of their product. And I, I truly believe that they will be pretty big quite soon.
1: Yeah, I think that's also a very important issue now that you have to give the opportunity for people to enjoy design, to enjoy quality. I mean, design is not necessarily something ultra expensive or everyone should be able to enjoy or to experience what's good design or what design can bring to their life. So you, you were talking about traveling. So before the pandemic, you travel almost like half of your time every, every, every year or every now and then. And how is it like for you not traveling? Does it, does it work for you? Because a lot of your work, you need like human connection. And also a big part of your work is about the physicality aspect of things. So how is it working for you?
0: I think probably I traveled so much before that I still have in my backpack part of that experience that I can still, you know, bringing uh, out and still breathing without traveling right now. Um, no, for sure is uh, is sometimes it's frustrating and complicated because uh, it's the traveling part is not only about you know, uh, visiting factory or checking in person the prototype, but it's also, I mean, socializing with people, going to a dinner with a client, just, you know, being person to person, start to build up an even stronger relationship. Uh, we are tra- trying to do our best to to maintain that and build up something different through... This kind of way to communicate—that means with Zoom or Skype, etc.—of course is different, and I hope it will be temporary. But I don't think I will never be able to travel as I was traveling before. And probably I don't want either traveling like that. I need to think for all of us. This crisis offered the opportunity to sit for one second for one second for a while and thinking is necessary traveling like that I can optimize that kind of travel Uh, when I will travel again how I operate to maximize the time that I'm traveling so I think help people to be more focused and appreciate what we don't have anymore right now in this moment and at the same time you know discovering also new tools a new way to be able to still doing things and communicating can you imagine if the pandemic was coming i don't know in the 70s without uh, the opportunity to talk virtually don't see people that would be a tragedy really in terms of isolation but uh, now i think we have a lot of tools that help us to luckily still be in touch uh, and being able also to perform differently. But for example, uh, as you know, I was working in China or um, US, etc. It's not that I can be there every single time in track prototyping and so on. So I was, or having a studio in Venice and another studio here, the way to operate and working through video conference or video call was something that, for example, in our studio was quite common. Not so much as now, but was quite common. So now maybe it's amplified a bit, but was not a big shock as, for example, many other studio that was much more focused just in the person-to-person meet, uh, meeting or as culture, like Italian wow. culture, for example, where a lot of my clients still call me and ask me when I would be the next time in Milan uh, because they really need the person physically in the front. So there is some culture that needs that and probably it's harder for them to move on and try to think differently.
1: Yeah, I think as we said at the very beginning of the conversation, we all have to adapt to this new normal now what's next for us. But luckily, we can still enjoy your wide range of products and designs around the world. So this is at least how we can connect with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I hope uh, that, uh, I, I, I think, I for, think for, uh, it's kind of interesting also for our industry, seeing that and trying not just to blame ourselves or how much unlucky we were, how much, you know, okay, we understand, uh, we were unlucky, there is this situation, we did something bad, there is the, I don't know, different theory about what happened, et, cetera, et cetera. okay, done. That's it. Okay. how we can look the future differently, and how we can use this moment to do not a project or designing something you know physically like my product, but also trying to help everyone, especially my client, in designing a future for our industry that can be different. And so thinking about how to launch the product how to show the product to people that they can touch, how to create that kind of user experience that we know that the trade show probably for a while is gone. Uh, so we are not anymore just depending from agenda that was, since I'm working as a designer, existed. But how we can be more authorial about ourselves as a as a single player in that industry and trying to find new opportunity and see that as a bigger project. So it's quite, if if we are looking, that sense is quite exciting. There is a lot of things that nobody did before.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I like this kind of positiveness coming from the pandemic. And as you said, we always have to be positive and creative. in any kind of situation so thank you so much today Luca it's always a nice chat with you and I'm sure we have a lot of other questions for you but uh, we'll wait for another time okay thank you very
0: much Yoko it was a pleasure like always